Player Two. It's me, Kitty M, the All Geek. I'm here to take you through the land of Pod. There's been so much that's happened in the last week. I mean, Batman news and Tick and Blade of the Immortal. Have you seen the trailer? And how Hasbro and DC duking it out is kind of like Autobots versus Decepticons. Come on, Player Two. Let's roll. Play it too. Come in, sit down. Have you seen what was on the notice board? I had to just grab what I could. Alright, we'll get through the news of the land and then we have got to go. The Batcave has so much information about new Batman stuff. I can't. Okay, let's just let's just start with this. The Blade of the Immortal trailer. Looks amazing. Blood, gore, little bit of humor. I'm going to touch on live action adaptions later. There's a lab that we're going to go to. It's amazing. And why Hollywood shouldn't do live action adaptions. But you know, when they're done right, i.e. not by Hollywood, they make me really happy. Now, when you see the Blade of the Immortal trailer, you're going to see what you think is a SWAT sticker on his back. It's not. It's the reversed SWAT sticker. And all of that is a Hindu symbol anyway, because Hitler, along with being a genocidal monster, also took symbols from other cultures and tried to make them his own. Anyway, there's a reason why that symbol is on the main character's clothing to do to what it symbolizes. And main thing I want you to take away from this, though, is this isn't a movie about Nazis or even glorifying Nazis. It's got little, if nothing, to do with Nazis. It's set way before that time. You know who likes to punch Nazis, though? Hellboy. And actor Ed Screen, who was going to be a major Ben Daimio in the latest Hellboy reboot, has stepped down from the role. Mainly because he didn't want to help whitewash things. And you know what that's taught me? People aren't all trash. It's also taught me that people are still very super mad about Samuel L. Jackson playing Nick Fury, which means they never really knew who Nick Fury was in the first place, because if they were that invested in the character, they'd know there's a black Nick Fury. And I don't want to go ahead and say that if you're angry that Samuel L. Jackson played Nick Fury, that you're a racist who's really super fragile, but I'm going to think it really loudly and imply it quite heavily. And before anyone starts in on, but Domino was white, and in the new Deadpool movie, actually, boo-boo, you're right, Domino is white. Like, literally the colour white. And yes, they flipped her look a bit for the new Domino that Zazie Beats will be playing, and she looks awesome. So I guess, shut your racist cake hole. And also, I hope you don't get cake, because racists, they shouldn't get cake. Speaking of things that do take the cake, the tick, literally only getting Amazon Prime so I can watch this series. I remember seeing the animation as a kid, which I'm fairly certain I wasn't meant to be watching, but this looks good, and it's got that guy in it. You know, the one from, he was in one of the Cornetto trilogy movies, not Simon Pegg or Nick Frost. The other guy, he's like the housemate who gets turned into a zombie in Shaun of the Dead. Pretty sure he was also in Black Books as the guy with the really deep voice that Fran likes. Anyway, he's got great comedic timing, and the tick is awesome. Let's celebrate that. And while we're celebrating that, maybe we can leave Lord of the Flies all-girl reboot in the trash where it belongs. Because we don't need a remake of Lord of the Flies. We still have the original one. And I still have my original mental scars from watching it when I was about six or seven. Because my parents were just not good judges of what was age-appropriate media. They thought it was a funny movie. 
and left me to watch it. Second, to make it an all-girl reboot is to take away from the themes of toxic masculinity and patriarchy that are key to the story of Lord of the Flies. And that's not just my interpretation of it, the guy who actually wrote it hinted at that as well. It's like if you make a lady version of Fight Club, you could do it, but it wouldn't be about the same things. And I'm all for more women's stories in the world, that's great, but just like the pink globe, the pink power tools, and the rebel nerf range, painting it pink and purple because something something you think we all have ovaries so therefore we like pink is not the same as making something for women or about women. You, you can't just paint a dude's experience a different colour and say you've made it for the ladies, that's not how this works, that's the, that's the opposite of what we've been saying. And as a side note, not all women like pink, but some do, and that's okay. People are allowed to like the wrong colour. Also, pink is traditionally a boy's colour, which makes sense when you realise it's just another form of red, and red's all like a battlefield or something. That's another story. Speaking of no's though, the Crow reboot? Also no. Leave that movie alone. Let it be dead. Not like the crow who was dead and then was walking. No, make it as dead as all the bad guys that the crow kills and never revive it. It was good, let it be. Now to completely do a 180, the Blade Runner sequel looks amazing. And there's actually a prequel to the sequel that's coming out. It's a little six minute mini movie and there'll be a few of these being released. It happens a few years ahead of when this latest Blade Runner movie is taking place. It puts things in perspective. Blade Runner is a story about artificial intelligence, what it is to be human, and more importantly, I think, what it is to be sentient. It spawned some of the greatest stories of our time, including Ghost in the Shell, and its visuals set a standard and have been drawn on for many sci-fi Earth futures that followed it. This latest prequel, I don't want to get too into it, redeems Jared Leto if you found his performance lacking as Joker. And if you loved Joker, then be prepared to see the scope of Leto's abilities. And with so many horrendous reboots and tired goings over of stories that didn't need a fresh lick of paint in the beginning, this looks pretty amazing. Very excited for it. Before it gets to cinemas and before you watch the short film, see if you can pick up the originals. The director's cut is different from the one that made it for cinematic release. A lot of people rate the director's cut over the cinematic release because it's better. And there's some things in that for you that I don't want you to miss out on when you see this next movie. Because I care about you, Plant. Now drink up. We're going to the back cave. You thought we were going to be in the Batcave, didn't you, Player 2? Well, no. We're here, in Joker's Lair. Yeah, okay, I didn't plan it. That's true. I know you're not meant to take lollies from strangers, but he said he had Swedish fish. Swedish fish. They are the Lamborghini of the gummy. And you don't joke around about that kind of thing. Yeah, well, on second thought, when you think about the Joker, first that being his name, and then all of the psychotic things he does. Yeah, when you put it that way, maybe I shouldn't have taken him at his word. But there were Swedish fish on the line and you don't pass up that kind of opportunity. Anyway, we've got plenty of time till he gets back for me to tell you all about Batman. You just be quiet and chew through those ropes. Can you smell petrol? Hmm. 
it actually works out perfectly that we are in Joker's lair because Leonardo DiCaprio is apparently going to be Robin Hood, but even better, he's going to be Joker. And I really want that to be a mix-up and it turned out that Leonardo DiCaprio is playing a Robin who becomes Joker. That would make my day. I am here for that, definitely. Not here, because this is Joker's lair and we're in a lot of danger, potentially. I know a lot of people have been saying they couldn't possibly see DiCaprio as Joker. And I think that's repeating a mistake we all made when Heath Ledger was announced as Joker. You don't have to imagine an actor as a character because that's what the movie is for. The way it works is they go and they act the character out and then at the end you say, wow, they really convinced me the person they were pretending to be was actually the person they were. That's the point of acting. I am a little concerned with how many people I've had to explain this to on a pretty regular basis. DiCaprio as the other side of Batflex coin could be interesting too. He's a more subdued Joker, but I think that's more in keeping with the, the universe that DC is building for their movies right now. I don't find him incredibly dangerous, but then who was afraid of Heath Ledger before Dark Knight? And sure, it's not the Michael Keaton Joker that I long to see, but I have faith. And the Leto Joker, much as I do think he had his good points, I couldn't see his connection to Batman. And I like seeing those two intertwined, because I think they're the dark and even darker sides of one another. There's a story arc called The Killing Joke, and it's about the origin of Joker. You've probably heard of it, and it's got a fair bit of negativity surrounding it, with good reason. But I like the idea that all it takes is one bad day for everything to change for someone. It only really took one bad day for Batman to become Batman. The idea that it only took one bad day for Joker to become Joker means their paths are more parallel than ever before. I think that's clever. And I just didn't see the way that Batfleck and Leto's Joker could be tied together unless Leto's Joker is some kind of Damian Wayne-style Joker then it could work. Oh, and speaking of Bats Offsiders, and with me being a filthy, filthy hypocrite, Brendan Thwaites will be Nightwing? He seems kind of young. And also Nick Bateman has been Nightwing ever since it became apparent that Joseph Gordon-Levitt couldn't be Nightwing anymore. I mean, that feels like the internet, we'd already decided that Nick was Nightwing, and then they tried to change it on us. Feels unfair to me. But I do think whatever happens, Ryan Potter will still make one hell of a Robin. You'll remember he sent like a video to Ben Affleck asking to be Robin, and he still could be because there were many Robins. And I just think someone, Mr. Affleck, should give Ryan Potter a chance to be Robin. Mr. Affleck, please do that. Speaking of Affleck, is he still even Batman? Yes. No. Wait. What? The real question here is why haven't we worked out he's actually Bruce Wayne? Think about it. He's rich, he's a playboy, kind of, and he does all that charity work, which is why he's not around all that much. Yeah, sure, Affleck. We know you're secretly fighting crime on your days off. You can't fool us. I hope he's still Batman. Whether people did or didn't enjoy Batman v Superman, and I know he took that really hard that they didn't like it, and you need to see the Ultimate Edition, or what are you doing with your life, there were very few who thought Batfleck was the problem in that movie. Now I'll keep saying it until Ben Affleck acknowledges my fandom of him in this role. He is the best Batman for what DC is doing right now. 
He's not only got the physicality of the role down pat, he's the right style of actor. I know some people need obvious expressions on someone's face to know they're acting, but for the rest of us, those subtle expressions and cues make it much more enjoyable an experience to watch. And he wasn't a grumpy Batman, he was simmering rage Batman, which makes it better when he throws out some dry wisecrack or goes to water when Diana Prince walks past. It's called Light and Shade. And I know that having to use your brain while you watch a movie rather than having it spoon-fed to you is a new concept. But here we are. What I would do, and again, DC, I'm here when you drop your standards low enough to hire me, is to let these rumours keep going. In fact, confirm them. Tell them you've dropped Affleck. Then throw Jeffrey Dean Morgan in as Batman in Flashpoint Paradox. Plot twist the hell out of the naysayers. Then bring Affleck back for billions in. Billions of films. Wow, you got through those ropes really fast, Player Two. All those times you've been grinding your teeth at me have finally paid off. Now get me out of here. I can hear Joker coming. Out of the lair and into the lab. It makes it sound like I'm going to talk about Rocky Horror Picture Show, but I'm not. We're in the lab where previously animated creations are brought back to life as hideously deformed versions of their former selves. Now, before I get into my rant about anime live-action adaptions and why everyone is wrong to be optimistic about Akira as a live-action adaption, I just want to do a quick shout-out to Mary Shelley, whose birthday it was this week. Mary Shelley was the writer of Frankenstein. Her mother was one of the leaders of the women's liberation movement, and Mary Shelley kind of created an entire genre in the space of, like, I don't know, like a week. She did it on a whim. When it was a bit of a game, Lord Byron, whose place she was staying at, was like, oh, let's have a writing competition because they didn't have Netflix back then. And she wrote Frankenstein. And really, the monster in Frankenstein was Frankenstein himself, the, the doctor. The monster, or corpse's name, was Adam. And he was a vegetarian. This is cool for a number of reasons, but to start with, to have a human creation brought to life to be called Adam and be a vegetarian is totally biblical. See, Adam and Eve are believed to have been vegetarians. It's also cool because Mary herself was a vegetarian. The more you know, you're going to be so popular at parties with this information now. You're welcome. Back to explaining why a live-action adaption of Akira by Hollywood is probably an abomination that needs never be brought to life. You've all heard the rumours of Akira, the movie that's totally going to be made since forever. Jordan Peele from Key and Peele and director of Get Out was signed on to direct it. There were even pictures surfacing that hinted at stars like Joseph Gordon-Levitt to act in it. The threat of them making a Hollywood version of Akira has been looming over our shoulders, whispering in the dark, staring from the shadows like some collection of body parts we stitched together and accidentally, but totally on purpose, brought to life one night in a laboratory and then we burned that down. But look, it escaped. I don't want to talk about it, okay? The important thing is, Hollywood in general and Warner Brothers in specific seem set on stealing yet another story from our childhoods that we shouldn't have watched, but our parents were like, it's an animation, it's fine, skinning it and parading it around like some weird puppet. This got gory quickly. I think that's because Akira is quite a gory story about police states and rebellion and youthfulness and how that can all go terribly, terribly wrong. Here's why I don't think it's ever going to work. 
One, because Hollywood still hasn't worked out how to adapt things that aren't specifically written in English, and even the things that are, they've had a hard time with. End of reason. That's the only reason, but I say it's a pretty good one. I'm not saying there are not some god-awful Japanese live-action adaptions of manga and anime. Erased was dreadful. The acting was fine, but the actual storyline completely failed when it came to the intricacy of the anime. An Attack on Titan? It's complete departure from the manga and the anime, not only in regards to storyline, but characterization and actual characters. And that apple-eating scene? I don't know what they have against apples or the apple industry, but they didn't need to do them wrong by putting that scene in there. By and large, live-action adaptions made in Japan, while at times a little dorky or over-the-top, still harness the energy of the stories they're telling. Probably because they're Japanese stories and they have Japanese people retelling that story. And live-action anything is difficult. When you're truncating sometimes years' worth of a story into a two-hour block, yeah, you're not going to get everything in. I understand that. But live-action adaptions of anime that happen outside of Japan and seek to change the story from being a Japanese one to an American one, they don't work. And I know why they want it to work. The anime and manga audience is large, loud, and passionate about the medium of their choice. We buy figurines, we play the games, we'll get the posters and buy the manga, and buy manga after manga after manga. We will watch for years on end a series that has more twists and turns than a silly straw. We'll forgive bad animation, weird plot lines. It would be silly not to want to tap into the tree of anime because the sap of its followers are easily made into a heady beer of profit in no time. But the thing that Hollywood seems not to understand about weebs like me at least is that we're engaging in Japanese media because it's not Western media. So when you take an anime story and you swap out the Japanese elements for Western ones, you're taking out some of the key parts that drew people like me to it in the first place. There are tropes in anime and manga, certain types of characters that while they may have a Western counterpart, those counterparts are not direct translations. So when you swap them as though they are, the mood of the story is changed. For instance, Death Note. Light Yagami is a model student. He's a genius, an athlete, self-sufficient, and respectful of his father. In Netflix Death Note, Light Turner is smart, apparently, but Celtic isn't a language, so he's not that smart. He's not athletic, not respectful, and relies heavily on his girlfriend for everything. Those are two genius teenager archetypes, which are similar, but also incredibly different. Light Yagami is not the usual teenager we see in Western media, but in anime and manga, the archetype he's based on is shown time and time again. Lelouch in Code Geass, uh, Warwick in Gangster, Shiel in Black Butler, Kyoya Otori in Oran High Host Club. All of those examples are the sort of Shadow King style genius, and there are other lighter examples of them, but they're a certain type of character. Cool and genius. They don't get picked on for being smarter than literally everyone else. Their ability is valued highly. That just isn't shown in Western media because that's not the experience of a lot of intelligent people who read a lot. This is one example of how the translation to a westernized version of the story completely changes the narrative. And there's so many more. But this is why I don't think Hollywood can make Akira, because they don't get it. Because to truly tell the story of Akira, there's a sentiment and a philosophy, a world outlook, that Hollywood in its main is still very much unable to achieve, because it keeps limiting itself to one set of eyes to look through the world with. 
there's a horror and respect for technology and science balanced with a yearning for natural processes to not be forgotten that exists uniquely within Japanese media. I say uniquely, it may exist in other cultures' media too, but it certainly doesn't manifest itself with the same nuance in Western media. And for the story of Akira to be told properly, you have to find an aspect of technology to be grotesque and revolting. And Hollywood has yet to prove they can do that in the same meaningful way that the Japanese media industry can. Don't believe me? Then watch Godzilla, the American version. Then watch Shin Godzilla. Or just straight up watch Ghost in the Shell, the Hollywood version. And then the proper Ghost in the Shell. In fact, don't don't watch the Hollywood version. I'd never actually ask you to do that. You deserve better. You should love yourself more. There's also a different way as far as the relationship between rebellion and authority works in Japanese society. It's different from Western society, and I'm not proclaiming to know everything about Japanese culture, but even if you skim the surface of anime, where there is a rebel, and in Akira, there are rebels, it's a different set of currency. There's a different weight to the actions. Oh, and this isn't really a spoiler, but the main guy isn't likable in Akira. And anime doesn't care so much if you like the character or not. In anime, the main character can be an egotistical sociopath and you just keep watching. They humanize properly in that their characters display characteristics of actual humans with good and bad traits that leave you feeling confused as to whether you support this person or not. Hollywood wants you to like the main characters to a fault, which is why it fails to adapt stuff from Western culture too. Still hasn't gotten good with the fact that some characters are bad, and actually we don't need redeeming qualities every time we watch them. Perfect example is Suicide Squad. Harley has to have wanted a husband and family at some time, but she couldn't have just been always crazy. Deadshot is really just a nice guy deep down. No. I hope they make Akira properly, if they make it, but they won't. Also, I'm not saying don't turn around, because I may have brought back a corpse, but what I am saying, player two, is that we should hurry back to the tavern. We should run quickly. Hey, player two! You made it back here! I'm surprised because I like, I tripped you and I thought that was the end. You know? Come on, sit down. You know what? You made it back here and so you should treat yourself when you get back to meet space. Yeah. Go and watch Hitman's Bodyguard that's with uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Ryan Reynolds. It's like an adult buddy film and slapstick comedy, but if slapstick comedy also had gunfights and there are fart jokes and singing with Samuel L. Jackson and Ryan Reynolds. I read people saying they didn't like it because I think they're allergic to fun. That's a really serious condition they have. But I found it to be delightful. It actually tapped into that 80s feel of buddy films where it's high stakes and the bad guys are truly just despicable people who do dreadful things. And had scenes where one gets horribly tortured and there's loads of explosions and someone just trying to do his job while the other one lolls through the gunfire and achieves the same results. If you're a fan of Tango and Cash and Lethal Weapon and various other buddy films I didn't have time to mention because I can't remember them right now, then see that. I think you'll like it. And while you're in meat space, take note of the fact that DC and Hasbro are squaring off. 
You would have seen if you follow me on Twitter at ChaosKittyM or Instagram ChaosKitty.cat, you'll notice I recently discovered a whole heap of DC superhero girl toys that are small enough that I can justify buying them because they almost fit on my shelves. How does this relate to Hasbro and DC? First, both of them should give me a job because I'm lovely. Second, DC and Hasbro will be duking it out to see who gets to use the word Bumblebee. See, Bumblebee is a character in the DC universe. She's a tech whiz who's wonderful. Everyone loves her. Bumblebee is also a character in the Hasbro universe of Transformers. He's an Autobot. He's less awesome. And Hasbro thinks DC's use of the word Bumblebee is going to confuse people, especially since there's going to be a Bumblebee movie starring the Autobot, not the awesome superhero, out next year. You can see how the toys for both of those characters might be confused. Possibly. They also have pretty much the same colour scheme, so kind of makes sense. What probably doesn't help matters is that DC and Warner Brothers have teamed up with Mattel to make these toys. So for Hasbro, in geek terms, it's like if you were a race of robots and you came to Earth because you were looking for resources because your home planet was dying and you and you pretty much let everyone get on with their lives, but then another group of robots who were after the same thing came to Earth and then told the humans that you, the first group of robots, weren't good robots at all, and that they should all join forces and destroy you, while then plundering the resources that you, the completely harmless up until you were attacked robots, had found, and had, up until then you hadn't really bothered anyone by getting. That's what that would be like as far as Hasbro are concerned, I would assume. Anyway, Player 2, you better get back to meet space. If you liked this journey into the Land of Pod, remember to rate it highly, and if you didn't, rate it highly anyway. It doesn't cost you anything. You can find me on Facebook, KittyM, and on Twitter as well, at ChaosKittyM. You can also follow the Land of Pod on Twitter and on Facebook to see when the portals open again. Until next time, Player 2.